Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. This podcast is for and about women of colour and our relationship with nature. Hosted by me, Cherie Mack. The Earth Sea Love Podcast is committed to exploring the experiences of women of colour with Mother Nature. We want to provide spaces where the hidden voices in the environmental and conservation conversations can explore their relationship with the natural world. Inspired by our time spent outdoors, we amplify the voices of women of colour, our stories, our conversations, interviews, photography, writing and artwork. We'll be exploring our legacies, histories and memories which have had an influence and effect upon how we perceive ourselves within the natural world and within the environmental and climate justice movements. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. The Earth Sea Love Podcast has been made possible by the funding from National Lottery Heritage Fund. Thank you. Hiya. Welcome back to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. I do hope that you're taking care of yourself and that you're feeling good. So, episode 026 with Joanna Henry. Joe. Yeah, this was a really good conversation, which I appreciated. I mean, Joe is a young woman, but her wisdom and the way that she perceives the world and how she moves through the world is remarkable and inspiring. And it was such a privilege to sit down and talk with her about important issues around race, environmental justice, the barriers that we face as um, marginalised people, disadvantaged peoples to get out into the countryside, but also where we can actually gain some strength through our connection and reconnection with nature um, and how that can foster love for ourselves and for each other. And it was, it was so inspiring. So much resonated with me when we were talking. I even think that we actually went to the same cultural retreat in Italy at different times, of course, and doing different things, but I'm sure we went to the same place. And that was just like, it just, throughout the conversation, I found out so much more about Joe so many different layers to joe i mean she's a twin i didn't even know she was a twin but it was just like peeling away these different layers to get to the core and the core of joe and the core of me and the core of everyone really is that 
burning pulsating energy love that's what it all comes down to and to find someone else who thinks that's you know to similar ways to me around love and connection and nature and changing the world and changing the narrative it was just like oh my gosh it was so a recognition a, a confirming a giving permission it's all right to be thinking the way you're thinking the way that you're feeling that you're actually not alone in this world of having these ideas that love can actually make a difference that love can change the world and to hear it coming from someone so young joyful and welcome and you just want more of it basically so i'm just keeping this intro short and sweet this time because sometimes i do have a tendency to babble on but i just want you to get to this episode because i love it and i hope you love it too and yeah if you've got any feedback let me let us know good or bad we enjoy anyone who takes the time to reach out and share their views we do appreciate it enjoy see you next time Thank you very much for agreeing to be on the podcast, Joe. That's all right. And as I start with everybody who comes on, I ask them where they're situated in the world and if they can see any nature outside their window. Thank you for having me on here as well, by the way. It's a new experience for me. (laughs) But um, I am in Essex, um, in Basildon, if you know it. And um, I'm just going to look out my window. So I've got lots of lots of snow. Uh, have you got snow where you are? Yes, we do actually, and which is unusual because with the sea air, it doesn't usually land and stay. Yeah, so that's just an indication of how how um, harsh the weather is or how extreme the weather is at the moment. So yeah, so you've got snow and I've got snow definitely. Yeah, so lots of snow and like a line of um, line of trees and in a bit of a residential area. And yeah, it's a bit um, lot, lots of cars and stuff. It's quite um, full up with cars. It's not enough, not enough space. Is it a case of um, we're still well, we're still in lockdown. We're in our we're calling it the third national lockdown. So um, I don't know about you, but when there's loads of cars. Um, taking up spaces it means that people are actually at home and staying safe is that the case do you think with all the cars yeah I mean you'd hope so wouldn't you but I'm not sure that people are taking it as seriously here as they could be because there seems to be also like when you go around you walk around there's quite a lot of cars on the road at least before before the snow is there um Mm. but yeah also I think it's just like not so much like I, I said about a lack of space when actually it's more people and too many people having lots of cars to their home really instead of mm. you know sharing or space for everyone to have so much you know 
you were in lockdown. How do you get your nature fix at this moment in time? So thankfully, there's quite a few green spaces around here. If I was in, yeah, I can imagine it would be a lot harder if I was in in, in London and in the city and stuff. I really feel for people at the moment who are in that position. But um, yeah, I have a golf course quite close by that I tend to walk walk through a lot. <laughs> are you allowed to do that? <laughs> Yeah, it's public as well, but that's the closest, ah. that and a uh, little park is the closest green space I have. Um, and like everywhere else, as much as there's lots of green spaces, you have to have a car really to get there and yeah, or rely on public transport. And um, yeah, I don't have a car at the moment. So I'm hopping around with mum and sister when I can to, <laughs> to go to some nice green areas. That's interesting that you said that this golf course is also a public one. Again, um, my nearest golf course is at Tynemouth, and that is definitely a private, exclusive space. Definitely wouldn't be allowed to walk across. So that that just brings me to mind to the idea of how much of public lands or, yeah, green areas have been cordoned off, made more exclusive, and people now have to well, you know, have membership or pay to use it. Is that a lot of the case where you are then in Essex? You know, you say in this, it kind of, it get like, it's one of my um, frustrations, let's say. Um, there is a lot, I think a lot of land in the UK in general has kept, has like been, like a lot of the privatised land is also like become golf courses for some reason. I'm not really quite sure mm. why that is, but um maybe because it tends to be a more like a it or historically I think it's been a bit more of a richer sport hasn't it but the I suppose yeah you do have to pay to is uh, the thing is that these places are open to everyone but you have to really be able to pay for the transport to get there to have a car to like some of the parking fees are, can be really expensive mm. and yeah I don't really generally don't really like agree that we should have to pay to access what is like a common a common good basically well not even a good just common right to to land and to being able to breathe fresh air and see the trees you know mm. so yeah I do share that frustration with you um especially if you think about things like the National Trust or English Heritage and and places like that who okay there might be some houses there or there might be some historical ruins there but how they um coordinate off and and sell it back to us you know it's our history it's our heritage well well well, that you know the bits that they want to highlight and it's sold off to us and we do we do I mean I've had membership and we do pop in the car and and pay the membership if we're we've got that money and pay the parking and and walk around and we're like ooh and ah and that sort of thing and really it takes up a lot of space the you know the the landscape which it which should be common a common right to roam or to experience um so yeah I take that frustration and did you say then that you sometimes get in the car with your mum and your sister to go further afield 
to get to some certain places. You do need a car, you do need transport, or you do need money to get on this transport. So these are just like a, a number of barriers that are in place for, um, I would say, disadvantaged people. And that can be because of, of money or poverty, but also because of the color of our skin. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to just ask, how did you get into nature? Was this part of your childhood? Was it part of your family? Um, how they were, you know, their culture or how you were brought up? Can you remember how you got into it? It's an interesting question, actually, because I feel like, so when we were, when we were kids, like, um, yeah, quite, quite young, my mum was taking us to like parks quite a lot and stuff. Um, we'd we'd play in the garden and just yeah be in nature quite a lot. Uh, I say we um, it's because I'm a twin a twin that's why I'm just used to saying we and I also have lots of sisters. <laughs> yeah, but then I would say there was like for the most part of my life I haven't really had haven't been immersed in it very much, and it's really like um, I think because of uh, being yeah a, a minority in this area and not really um I don't know I always had basically a strong desire to kind of want to go and explore more and to like learn about different people and cultures in the world and to learn about like the the environmental aspect didn't come until a bit after that when I realized like and became very passionate about different social issues when I realized like how connected the environment was to those social issues and to our own oppression if you like and mm. um marginalization and stuff so I'd say one of the like real turning points was like when I was at uni I started to become much yeah much more interested in, in like like health and sustainability and like the food that we eat because I've always really loved my food as well and wanting to like eat nourishing things and and I went um and did some volunteering I don't know if you've ever heard of Woof it was funny I heard about woof when I was Tilly because they we used to have woofers to help them pick the olives yeah <laughs> yeah so you went where did you go woofing <laughs> I was actually in Italy as well oh wow whereabouts yeah. um I was I like I split my trip so that I um was actually in a few different places so some just outside of well a few places in Tuscany and a few places outside of Rome um, different types of farms because I wanted to get like different experiences of and different like um yeah see the different crops so like one of them I was on a vineyard and another one I was like on a tomato farm and stuff so yeah it was it was really really lovely um really nice experience so did you say that you also did woofing or I am for some reason, I always wanted to visit Italy. There was something mm -hmm. about the landscape that was drawing me there. Um, mm -hmm. And I just found this artist collective that was in um, oh, Monteleone, which is just in Lazio, so just in the hills outside Rome. Mm. And, um, they took over an old candy factory to be this artist collective, kept their sustainability by offering artist retreats but also um they had olives an olive plantation so you could go there and experience you know helping them bring in the harvest and then yeah. 
get go taking it to the small press in place and seeing how it was all created and bring away your own olive um, oil to bring home sort of you think it was something that I actively seeked out because I wanted a reason to be there and not just mm-hmm. to have that idea. Oh yeah, I'm just going to Italy. But I wanted to be immersed in the culture and the landscape. And then for yeah. a, a number of years afterwards, I was running writing retreats with the collective because they didn't have anything writing. They had photography, they had dancing, they had music, but they didn't have anything offering writers there for a retreat. So we collaborated and offered for a number of years a writing retreat where we took inspiration from the landscape it was usually in October because it was on the turn and it was so beautiful then with the different colors and the trees so yeah so that's just brought it all back that has and that was like I want to say maybe 10 10 years ago now or more but um it still has a special place in my heart Italy yeah that's that's so interesting because that I think was this one of the farms that I volunteered at (laughs) that's so crazy the, the uh, artist collective that you're talking about in Lazio. It was, it was yeah. Uzu, Uzu. Was it Uzu that we were called? But there was such a lovely family and you just yeah. felt so welcomed in a sense. Yeah. Um, this worked in with maybe you're saying you're, the idea of making those connections with the environment, social issues, health and sustainability. So you never, but you never mentioned what is your family background because you say it's interesting that you said because of being a minority in your area, and I think that is really, really good of saying that. If we think about, I'm going, I'm skipping all around here, but it's all 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 we think about. BAME or how we're usually described, Black, Asian, and minority ethnic using minority is um, an issue for me as we're not if we're thinking about the global scale and if we've been talking about this traveling on the global scale we are not minority black and brown skinned people are actually the majority on a global scale and using minority is a way of of limiting us and keeping us in place to think that we are small and insignificant and as you mentioned can be oppressed and accepted so I love that you use minority but you said in this area yeah that is interesting so if you're the minority in this area why is that so I mean it's a case of like where's your family from or where were you can't see me obviously but I'm I'm nodding along with you as you're talking (laughs) um I can I completely agree yeah, I completely agree. I think I tend to, I like the, um, I don't know if you've ever read The New Internationalist, one of my one of my favourite magazines, but um, mm-hmm. they use the term majority world, which really fits much more with me, to be honest, because you're right, we are, we are the majority in the world and we mm-hmm. kind of like sold this idea of being a minority. But um, my family, my family heritage is quite complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I have a, so my mum's white, British and my dad is Malaysian Um, but if you know anything about Malaysia it's also um, very diverse so it has like Indian Chinese and Malay influences Um, but I didn't I didn't grow up with my my dad I grew up with my stepdad who um, was British Caribbean and he yeah and so my my sisters are also uh, Caribbean 
mixed. So yeah, a very diverse, diverse family. So you can imagine the looks that we got in, in uh, this area. And I just love the richness and the mixedness. So long that has been sold to us as something to be maybe um, keep hidden or to be ashamed of having that richness well I I call it richness but you know there's other words that people use which are so derogatory about it and I totally get it about those looks when you're going out right I've got that mixedness in me but then my kids are mixed but because there's so many different shades going out people do stare even more so and you can see that they're trying to make some connection or trying to work it out but because British society people don't People don't ask these questions. They'll ask the questions, where do you come from? Some people who um, who are used to saying things. Other people will just, just stare and maybe say something to somebody who they're with. But rather than not, not say anything to you, they'll just stare and, and continue to stare and make you feel uncomfortable in your own skin. And I think how we move through society, a lot of it is how we are reflected back by others. You know, that gaze, when people gaze at you. And because of our treatment, we might see that gaze as being a threatening gaze or unfriendly gaze, basically. It's not many times do we have that friendly gaze, if you know what I mean. So when you're out walking in in these green spaces or even close to home or even further afield from home, do you see many people that look like you or the people that you engage with? Are they usually white people that have this gaze or stare towards you? What is your experiences of being out there and seeing anyone like you or being seen by others? In answer to the first part, I don't really, other than my twin sister, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't really um, see anyone who looks like me. The first time that I saw somebody that looks like me was when I actually visited Malaysia. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's kind of my norm, really. But in terms of the stairs, I mean, I feel like if you're used to receiving hostility from people because the way you look, like, it's not, I'm not saying that you were saying this in any way, but it's not anyone's fault that they might, like, any person of colour's fault to then assume that the looks that they're receiving is coming from a hostile place which a lot of the time it really feels like it is um I but, love that you've said that that is so yeah. important it is yeah because not- we often blame ourselves don't we or we we like can you can really internalize a lot of these messages um and ideas and like the like you say the gaze and not being reflected you can, yeah, you internalise a lot of like the hate towards you when actually it's not about you, it's about the other person, the other people and the system. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that needs to be underlined. Yeah, I'm drawing a circle around it, you know, <laughs> highlighting it because that is something, and I'm nearly 50. Yeah, this year I'm there, I'll be 50. And that is something that I have just in the last few years, I would say, have come to acknowledge and acknowledge to myself that it isn't, it isn't my responsibility. It isn't, I'm not going to say it isn't my problem, but it isn't my responsibility. It's not my fault. It's not, yeah, that is um, food for my soul. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
because we do carry it around and we have and it has been also I don't know if like um it, there is gaslighting that goes on it's like it's your it's your yeah, definitely. Your, your issue it's like it you know I've even thought that I'm going around with a chip on my shoulder you know that it's like I'm I'm feeling this and but obviously it's my problem and I obviously always has to come down a race you know it's like to to hear that and to actually feel that in my body it's like it's almost like I'm taking out a a really exhaling a massive breath there it's like woof yeah thanks thanks oh no that's okay yeah thank you for also like acknowledging that because I think it's really important too and it's an ongoing process isn't it and it is really difficult so like just the first step of becoming aware of these things and like you mentioned the body as well and I'm I'm very interested in like how these different like traumas which from my understanding I'm not an expert in any shape or form but from my understanding racism for a really long time wasn't even seen as as like creating trauma in the body as well as different I think other forms of oppression and like I'm really interested in like especially because of my own experiences and how how we carry these things in our body and how they manifest and like how they affect us on an emotional and like physical level these things have like long-term impacts for our health and for our well-beings and they're not also create ripples out don't they to communities and like yeah living in this country and yeah yeah recognize recognize talking about that trauma in the body and our health and well-being you're saying you're interested in it and how are you working working around that or working with it I know you mentioned about the foods and the stuff that you put in your body but then also I think this might lead into because we met through working together on the research project that was coming out of um, CPRA campaign for the protection of rural England it's called the countryside charity worked with NEF, New Economic Foundation, yeah, um, to explore diversity within the British countryside. And this was not just about diverse on the terms of, of race, but they were thinking about age and gender and social economic wise. Um, but we were involved because we, well, we said we expressed an interest because we're working with maybe as individuals or with groups of getting more black black and brown bodies into nature. And they were wanting to do some research, find out about our experience, our lived experience in a sense, see how they could change it to make it more diverse. So this is how we, we met. So how, what did you do as part of this research project? That's the first thing. Well, it was peer research, which is was something that drew me to it because it's a much more of a collaborative approach um, rather than the kind of typical like power relationships between the researcher and the people being researched, I suppose. Um, it was more about like drawing out or like not even drawing out, that's not even the type of phrase I want to use because it sounds very extractive, but like amplifying, if you like, um, people's people of colour's experience. I don't even really like these phrases. I feel like they're just so singularizing. You know, they're so hom- like is it homogenizing. Is that a word? You know? Yeah, yeah, no, that is totally, that is totally. <laughs> yeah, it's something that came out within our group. We were talking about our findings or bringing back to the group about how 
because we're using these labels or we're doing it under this title, it does sort of bunch us all together when we are so unique and have individual experiences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I spoke, I didn't speak with too many people. I spoke with a couple of people that, um, you, and it's like meant to be using your own networks for people that you know, isn't it? And what was my experience like? I think it was interesting and challenging at the same time because because they were people that were fairly close to me. I, I, I kind of already knew some of what their experiences and the type of things they might mention um, anyway. But then there were also like surprises and things that I didn't know about people and mix of responses. One person who really didn't feel that there was any that there was any like racism at play in the in the countryside and in I don't know even in society maybe I'm not I'm not quite sure if that person really acknowledged it they weren't born in the UK mm. so that they also openly acknowledged that maybe um the fact that they didn't have to like they haven't learned the same cues as maybe somebody who had been born here yeah. and had, had experienced that all the time and then I had another person that I spoke to that was like the complete opposite if you like and saw the environment as very like politicized and um something that has you know has its links to capitalism and colonialism and like right down from who owns the land in the UK and who gets to experience it now and who is excluded and yeah I feel that there's like for me personally there's a lot more truth in that how we feel in nature and the countryside I don't know these, yeah, like like I've said already, these terms don't really sit right with me because when we, the first thing I started with when I was talking to people was, what does the environment mean to you? Mm. And that was because, like, just using the phrase nature and environment, it kind of feels like there's this narrative of them being something separate to us, isn't there? And also being like something that's kind of, we're almost carving it out in the way that capitalism has done you know and our language is reflecting that at least um when actually it's something that exists all around us even when where there aren't green spaces that is still nature it's the you know it's like you know I I totally get what you mean and like I'm sitting here listening and I'm it's so difficult talking about these things when we only have the master's tools you know, if you're thinking about Audre Lord and like, how can you dismantle the, the master's yeah. system if we only had the master's tools to do that? And that is the language. That is the only thing that we've got. It's trying to find the ways to talk about these issues and not, not have that prejudice or that way of re- approaching it already built in. You know, as you yeah. say, using nature and environment and that it is almost putting those boxes around it. And yes, this is this is the environment and this is nature. And also, you know, when you say in the natural world, what do you mean? There's only one world and we're all, yeah. we're all connected. We've got we've got as part of an extension of our project, we've got black writers in residence in these these places, you know, these organizations, Northumberland National Park, Durham Wildlife Trust, et cetera, et cetera. And we're calling this Black Nature in Residence. And part of it is to try and find or explore language so we can marry ourselves with 
with ourselves in a sense because when we're saying with nature it's with ourselves it's with nature with ourselves and with other people and to reconnect where that disconnection has gone and I think we know I use black nature because um because of that lack of of that representation of us in nature things are getting better things are definitely getting better especially especially this last year when when we have been in lockdown and people are are Mm. appreciating nature more and experiencing it more and the diversity of people doing that is is broadening but it's not something new we've been doing it for generations if we are honest about it it just hasn't been as you said amplified or recognized or in the media seen in the media you, do you know what yeah. I'm saying? As you just said, you know, the first time you saw somebody that looked look at you um, was when you went to Malaysia. And okay, when you're walking out with your twin. And that is because when we think about these things about being outdoors, British countryside, walking the landscape, if we look at the media or the magazines or these outdoorsy publications, we're not mm-hmm. there. And they might be looking towards more diversity, but they'll just have that one face, brown or black, that's there to represent the whole of diversity. We're such a vast and so varied. Yeah. You know, when you're homogenizing us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with everything that you've said. not to not to sound critical but you saying about oh you know things are things are getting a lot better and I feel like you don't need to say that you know like think we can still like I don't know yeah it feels like it's kind of like an an add-on in a way to like to kind of say like oh you know things that you know actually things still aren't right things still aren't good enough and that's okay as well basically that's what I'm trying to say yeah I hear you Joe, and I I appreciate that too because yeah. that is the way that we are socialized. Yeah. We're criticizing, but we have to couch it in a way that, oh, I recognize that we're making advances. I recognize this good work. Yeah. Yeah, you see, you hear my voice going up <laughs> because yeah. how we have to couch it. Because if we come out with that direct criticism, um, we are seen as not recognizing what's been done, but we are criticized. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? If you think about what's been going on recently, and have you seen about hoorah about Countryfile having a segment on Black Girls Hike? The over 100 complaints that were sent into the BBC saying, why are you highlighting this group? What's so special about this group? There's loads of other yeah. groups. Yeah, you, have, you, have you seen that? I, have, I think I, I heard about it. I haven't seen it. No, but I, I did. Yeah, I did hear about it. I didn't know there'd been over 100 complaints. The backlash has been turned around because it just means that Black Girls Hike have got more followers now of what they do. More Black women know what they're doing and have reached out to them and want to be involved. Yeah, it means that Mm -hmm. the organisation is growing, you know. So Mm -hmm. that is using a backlash in a positive, yeah. 
But yeah. the thing is, is all they were doing was saying, hey, we're here and this is what we're doing. And you know, when you look at what they say in the, the program, it's, it's nothing different to what white people out there are already saying. I'm walking mm-hmm. because it's for my health and my well-being. It's great to get out there. You know, sometimes I don't feel like getting out. It's the same message that are coming out of white people's mouths but because it's coming out of a black woman's mouth, it gets piled on. The individuals get attacked. Not a case of listening to the message and saying, hey, I didn't even know that about black women actually are fearful of walking out their front doors. Yeah. It, that they have to create a group so they can do it together safely. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. Oh, that is a sad case of not even having that reflection, not even listening to the message. And yeah, that makes that makes me mad. That makes me so mad. So I'm glad that you just give me permission. Like I don't have to couch it in things like saying things are changing, things are getting better. I could just say still a bad case of affairs and need for more improvement definitely don't need to couch it like uh, or change your language from at least for my benefit or you're saying it's, you. i think it's when you know you're shining a light on something isn't it when you're bringing it to to the forefront and of people's consciousness that's like they can't they can't handle it mm. people find it's that those defenses that come up isn't it isn't that what's called um like white fragility I don't know the term is all right for me mm-hmm. in a sense because it is giving me something to hang on my experience when there wasn't any language there before yeah mm-hmm. I do I do appreciate these this new language these new tools that I've got in my arsenal yeah um you know like microaggressions yeah I didn't know what that was (laughs) yeah yeah definitely but I experienced it and trying to explain it to somebody who might not be in my shoes obviously no it's only me in my shoes that does help me to explain Mm -hmm. so yeah I welcome these I'm all for Becky and Becky Code but it's when what gets me is when it's um I think it is when some people take offense when you're using that term um, yeah. and get on the defensive or then when other people get on the bandwagon and use that term to forward their own agenda that is what I have issue with it's difficult isn't it because like language is so important to like being able to I, I feel exactly the same. There's so much that I've learned and that I'm still learning yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that gives gives understanding to our experiences, mm. our diverse experiences, because, yeah, because we can't, we haven't been able to have the tools and, and have not been able to put them into words. Yeah, then at the same time, though, those, that language or phrases or like ideologies can be so easily like manipulated and used in such a way that it adds further fuel to like the complete opposite of what it is that you're trying to do or achieve or to put out there you know so it's it's really difficult yeah it's the case of like sometimes when you enter into certain relationships or projects you have to have hope 
you have to have hope that this is going to make a difference or bring about change. Um, but then when you get into it, you find out that it's it's still the same old game. It's almost it's it's triggering again and again of that that trauma that is within our bodies from experiencing racism again and again and again. And you know, no, no, there's part of me that just wants to give up and you know what's the point but then mm. the other part that does keep that that hope and that light alive and that wants to keep on as we say learning in order to share that and to bring about change not just for myself but for others yeah yeah but it is difficult on because of the systems that we are operating in yeah yeah no definitely I think feel like that's where um at least for me personally like being able to step away from things at times and to like check in with yourself and I know I know it's like thrown around a lot like the whole self-love stuff and but it's so important to yeah it's so important to to give ourselves what it is that we need in some way as well and to like give ourselves joy and like the things that all of these experiences are like kind of denying can be denying us at times when we're bogged down in like the difficulties of the world or like the our own experiences of like racism and oppression and but if it's okay I wanted to I was thinking to like go back to an earlier point that you had about um kind of like narratives and like the environment and that what I mentioned about it being separate rather than um rather than being seen as interconnected and I wanted to see what your like your thoughts were and share my own about like what a different narrative would look like oh please share because <laughs> for me personally or just put just have a yeah put it out there as to what you think for me personally I feel that it's really important to so talking about how it's affected me in my own life I feel like the environment has become something that's really connected to me connected me to my own like sense of spirituality and of which for me is being connected to everything and seeing everyone and everything in you and vice versa yeah I think that the environment is a like really important way to be able to to do that to like you know whether that's like giving love to your plants or like being in nature tuning into your senses you know so yeah I don't know I've kind of gone off on a tangent what do you no. think no you haven't gone on to a tangent <laughs> when you're speaking Joe it's you know you mentioned self-love and then you had a little giggle um yeah. after it as if it was you know something that we shouldn't say in a sense that interconnectedness for me with the environment if I'm using mm. your your term is how I have fostered self-love for myself again it's only in the last few years that I can say that I have self-love and I say it with pride because it's something that we are not taught and it's something that is almost ridiculed or dismissed um mm. almost as if it's like you're being arrogant or vain to say that you love yourself but yeah. it's something 
because it's powerful that is the case it is powerful because once you say that you are fostering self-love you are actually getting back to your core to your true self yeah Mm -hmm. and that is where my nature connection helps me and supports me because I fell in love with nature I fell in love with the environment and this if you follow that that natural conclusion is like nature and me are one we are connected we are the same yeah yeah there's a universe out there and there's a universe inside me yeah so if I love nature the conclusion is I love myself you get me yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, sure. yeah. and I I feel and you know all my senses hear sense see you know I feel myself reflected in nature and it's not when I'd say that it's not me in a black woman's body it is it is my it is my I don't know my spirit as you say it's my essence my my light is in comes to the forefront when I am walking in the trees when I am in the sea I am in me and I am in nature does that make sense yeah definitely that's such a beautiful way of putting it as well like I'm really yeah that's a really beautiful way of putting it I couldn't like put it across better myself just yeah that sense of spirit and like seeing yourself in nature and being connected to it and yeah yeah, it's really lovely. And it's and it's not a case I see myself as society sees me. That's it. Mm. You know, in those identity checky bucky things. It's it's like I, it is, it's it is that sawing feeling. And you get you get you gave it with that spirituality. It is the spirit, isn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah. and that's beautiful. That is that is pure beauty. That is it. I feel like connecting to that as well, that sense of, I don't know how it feels for you. I suppose it could be different, like lots of different feelings, but for me, there comes like a sense of openness, mm. like an open heart. Mm. Yeah. Like a receptiveness to like, you have to, it, to open your senses to the, to hearing and sound and all of these different things. You have to have a level of openness, don't you? And yeah. like, we carry that with us. And yeah. like, I don't know. It's a vulnerability, that openness. Just an example, I know I'm open and I'm in the sea and I'm um, giving thanks and and then I get out the sea and I carry that openness and vulnerability with me so that Mm. when I come in contact with others, which I will once I re-engage with society, I am still open and vulnerable and I have seen myself, one, I'm walking along, and my head's up and I I greet whoever it is with a smile and even mm. if they're not smiling back at me and then even if I'm getting out the sea and people say was it cold enough fire you know like these comments or if they just stare I know that my reaction to them is coming from that openness and vulnerability usually if I'm going through society I'm thinking right well, that's a stupid question, or why you're staring at me. I'm I'm defensive, but when I know I've had this this experience and I'm open, 
I am much more willing, is the word, maybe willing to offer, yeah. offer that openness and vulnerability to someone else, reply with a smile, with some joy, with some light. Yeah. And that, that's how my circle is. It's a case of like nature helps me connect with myself, connect with nature more and connect with others more. You know, it's like that. I'm doing this cycle because it is, it's all interlinked. Yeah, and, definitely. It reminds and, us of our oneness, doesn't it? Yeah. Connectedness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's connected because there's the energy. It is an energy. That's what it is. And I think the most powerful energy in the world is love. And that is what, um, yeah, that's why you have to keep going back wherever yeah. you can. I started with this nature fix, but it is an addiction. And that's why I have to keep going back because it's feeding my soul, but it's also feeding that, that love and energy that gets me through the day, the rest of my when, life. When you say going back, where do you, going back in what way? Where to? Well, I'm just thinking about going back to the sea. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, from, you know, when you say in nature, it's like, where do you, where do you feel most comfortable or what's your favorite spot or what's your sit spot? somewhere that you keep going back to no matter what the weather or the season so you actually have developed that intimate relationship with that that being in nature that yeah. and I don't mean being but I mean that being that living living species in nature because you know everything's alive everything has a being mm -hmm. yeah I'm so glad to hear you say what you said about love as well because I think like that's really nice to hear somebody else say that other than me because I feel exactly the same and I don't know about you when you're like quite an empathic person and you are quite connected and in, in tune with all of these things you're in tune with your own sense of love aren't you that's what it is and it feels like when you're in a society where there's a lot of or a world where there's a lot of like destruction you yeah. can feel that love is a very like that takes great courage doesn't it there's a lot of vulnerability in being able to have an open heart and being able to receive and to maintain that I think and that's like yeah I often like to like think about this like narrative that's been put out and then twist it on its head and I feel like love as a weakness is one of those things no love is like one of the most powerful forces there is yeah. which is what, what you just said yeah yeah thank you Joe. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's so important to cultivate, isn't it? Yeah, you're not alone, Joe. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I we have we have nearly amassed an hour here. The, the final thing I usually ask is, you know, what's your plans <laughs> for the future? keep developing your nature relationship connectionness you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't because you know we're still in lockdown but it doesn't have to be outward plans it can also be internal plans so do you have any any burning desires that you'd like to share Joe? that you are moving forward burning desires um well I'm at the moment I've been um training to facilitate women's circles which are like where we share stories um and that's something that 
I feel, I suppose it's connected to nature, but it's not directly connected to, na- to nature. But that's something that I'm really looking forward to like going more into because, and that which is why I have a lot of respect and appreciation for what you're doing with this podcast because there's something so healing, isn't there? And transforming in being able to share our stories and like allow each other to be seen and heard and to to see each other in those stories if you like and I think that is part of that is part of nature nature's reflection if you like and yeah I feel like yeah that's one of one of the things that has brought me a lot of groundedness and being able to yeah when we're talking about nature we're talking about for me personally I'm also talking about like the flow like trusting the process and trusting of life and I feel like that's something when I when I'm I'm in tune and go outside or even when I'm inside and I'm like listening to the different sounds and stuff and um that really helps me to cultivate that sense of presence and like groundedness and be able to do those types of types of circles um but yeah generally like just to continue because it is an ongoing practice and I think like that in itself is important to be able to continue to practice that going outside and like because before I was somebody that really I just felt trapped in one place all the time and obviously because of covid we have like no choice but to be where we are and that's kind of I don't know about for you but it's given me a bit more of an appreciation of doesn't matter where I am the fact that I just have like the air the water like you know am I able to see the clouds and sounds a bit cheesy but <laughs> you know all it gives you a new appreciation of the things that you have around you doesn't it but again you know you you used to impart it's so much wisdom there because you're saying about the process and practice and and we have to keep practicing and for me you know I say my creative practice but life is Mm. and the more the more that we can practice being present showing up and being grounded within Mm. us is much more of a a guarantee for a, a happier life a joyful life I think yeah I'd love to keep hearing about um, how you get on with the women's circles because I think that is empowering for the individuals involved but then also empowering for a woman a a women's group or women's sisterhood or women and to have that is um, is definitely a gift so Mm. um I wish you luck with all that and yeah please keep me informed of how it goes because I'm definitely interested and on that note I will have to say thank you Joe, for your time and thank you for yours too your generosity and definitely that I've felt um seen and felt during this conversation so thank you the podcast is for women to share their stories and narratives but there's also the selfish the selfish reasons there and I get so much from these conversations and they are my medicine also so I thank you I thank you from my heart Joe. thank you too Sherry I really appreciate what it is you're doing and I think it's so important to like like it's such a rare chance to be able to like share your experiences but also capture those everyday experiences of women women of colour and to have the chance to like hear people's different experiences is really it's really powerful and important so yeah credit and admiration for what for what you're doing thank you 
Thank you, Joe. But um, I can't do it without you. So credit <laughs> and admiration for what you're doing too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You take care. All right. And you too.